you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Graham, masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. And we have pretty much reached the end of our positional breakdowns. I mean, yeah, maybe I feel a little bit saucy and maybe we talk, talk some kickers or maybe some defenses. But when it comes to the big four positions, we will wrap that up today as we talk about tight ends. Michael Florio will join us in just a bit to chat through that. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you, if you haven't already, go and download the all-new NFL Fantasy Football app. It is free. It is fun. You should do it right now. You can sign up at NFL.com slash fantasy or go to the app store, go wherever you will go to find good apps, even bad apps, just wherever you go to find apps. Uh, and we look forward to playing with you again this season on NFL Fantasy. Uh, before we bring in Florio, though, as always, we want to talk to our faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. Murph, is there an update on the air conditioner saga where you are? I think you could tell uh, for those watching me wearing a tank top means there's uh, not been an update. Every window is now open. I have the sun shining in. It's quite hot. So I'm wearing this uh, tie-dye tank top here. But you know what? I'm becoming uh, a more uh, – I'm learning more about my neighborhood because I, I, I hear everything at night now with the windows <laughs> open. I'm, like, spying on people's apartments from here. I see who has, like, the nice outdoor balcony grill set up uh, as I sit in here sweating. But, uh, yeah, I've bothered everyone in my complex, and hopefully by next week we have uh, some sort of resolution for a Labor Day weekend. So we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I, I not a lot of fun. I can't wait for you to star in the reboot of Rear Window. Like everything's getting rebooted in Hollywood. Like you can like be Jimmy Stewart and you can just sit there with binoculars and, and you know think you see something sinister going on. It'd be great. That is so perfect because it, it's distracting. I have a you know a ton of work to do every single day here uh, for uh, for the NFL, and yet I find myself just like staring to see what people are doing. I'm snooping <laughs> on them, but I got to stop. I got to close the blinds. Oh, man. Well, uh, stay cool, stay hydrated, and uh, hopefully you get that solved sooner rather than later. Thank you. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's bring in Michael Florio. I mean, we are hoping to make this a regular thing. He is our, our researcher extraordinaire, also joining the fantasy crew, at least on a part-time basis, and uh, he has been here a couple of times this offseason. Florio, welcome back, and uh, I guess uh, I guess welcome to the, the, the show, because this is going to be kind of your slot, uh, at least once a week with us, so glad to have you here, man. Glad to be here, Marcus. Uh, you are one of my favorite people to talk to in general, and then fantasy football is one of my favorite topics to talk about in general. So just super excited to get any time I get to come on this podcast. Well, this seems to be working out. This is already a great start. So, <laughs> um, let's start with some news and notes from around the league, things that have happened over the last few days. Uh, yesterday, one of the bigger stories on the field in the NFL uh, was David Montgomery going down with a groin injury. At the time, the Bears weren't sure how serious it is. Now, according to uh, a recent report from Ian Rappaport, the thing just popped up just before we started recording this show, uh, it looks like it may not be super serious. The Bears 
are expecting him to be out two to four weeks. That means he does have a chance to play in the season opener against the Detroit Lions. So with that information, Florio, does this change how you feel about David Montgomery? Are you higher on Tariq Cohen? Are you even maybe considering Ryan Nall at some point? I don't think I'm going to be considering Ryan Nall too much. Maybe if it was an extended absence for David Montgomery, but... I think my opinion on David Montgomery is going to differ from others because I was completely avoiding him before this injury. Uh, I just thought that his upside was completely capped because Tariq Cohen last year had 104 targets to David Montgomery's 35. And in PPR leagues, a target is almost three times as valuable as a carry. So I was viewing David Montgomery as a safe floor but very low ceiling uh, type of player. So I had him ranked as an RB3 in my rankings and you had to pay like an RB2 price to get him. So I do not have him anywhere at all. But now if we see him fall and he's going to consistently start going maybe as an RB3, even maybe a late RB3, then I may be more inclined to buy in. And I think a lot of people now who were kind of on David Montgomery are going to be maybe be a little scared to still draft him. But I'm viewing it as if we could get him even cheaper now, then it might be worth it and it may become a buying opportunity. Yeah, I think that's a that's a key point right there because I'm sort of with you. I have been out on David Montgomery this whole time, just sort of watching him last year. And I am, you know, I'm big enough to admit that some of my feelings have to do with the fact that I really uh, pushed for him last season and he was just, he was fine. He wasn't great. He wasn't certainly what I hoped he would be. Uh, and I watched him and I really felt like even if he hasn't hit his ceiling yet, he's not far from it. And I think the Tariq Cohen point is a valid one because we know he is going to get a ton of targets in that offense. So that certainly means that Montgomery has to be a lot better running the football. I don't know, maybe the five pounds that he has lost in the offseason will have something to do with it. He says he got faster, but I'm sort of with you that I'm not all that excited about it. But, you know, I always say that no player uh, or that every player has value if you get him in the right spot. So maybe if Montgomery falls, maybe I'll, I'll reconsider my stance there. Uh, in L.A., Chargers receiver Mike Williams could miss two to four weeks with a shoulder injury. Anthony Lynn kind of said the other day that it looks like he could be out for a little while. Uh, Florida, this is a dude that I sort of liked later in drafts. I mean, he was going fairly late, and I liked the upside because of that. Maybe this ends up being sort of a silver lining. Maybe he falls even more and he becomes an even better value because it doesn't seem like he's going to miss an extended amount of time. There's got to still be some upside there with Mike Williams. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a really good fit with Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod is the opposite of Philip Rivers. Like Rivers is not mobile at all and like to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And Mike Williams' strength is being a down-the-field receiver. So an older, immobile quarterback with declining arm strength, yeah, he's not going to be able to get the most out of Mike Williams. But Tyrod Taylor, I think, could because when we saw Tyrod in Buffalo, he liked to extend plays with his legs and then heave the ball downfield. Like, he never had a target post, like, like a receiver post huge reception numbers. But we did see when he had a healthy Sammy Watkins that – he was a very good fantasy asset because the, the receptions that he was getting were getting huge chunks of yardage, too, down the field and often, you know, sometimes long touchdowns. So uh, I'm with you, Marcus. I think there is upside to Mike Williams. I think Tyrod is a good fit for him. My only concern uh, outside of the shoulder, because like a lot like Montgomery, if the shoulder 
leads to his ADP getting even lower, then I think it's even less risk to, to take with Mike Williams. My only concern, though, is is he going to be consistent every week because there's a lot of other weapons around him, too, with Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. So I just worry if the, the targets are going to be consistent each week. You know, I started to come around a little bit on the Charger offense. Earlier this offseason, I was just kind of concerned. It just seemed like there was some uncertainty. It feels like Tyrod's going to start at the beginning of the season. Maybe Justin Herbert takes over at some point. But it looks like for the, the time being, this is Tyrod's job. Does that give you a certain level of confidence about some of those other weapons there? Yeah, I. so this is one of those offenses. Like, I love Austin Eckler, and he is – in, in the first late first, early second round, like he is a running back that I'm heavily targeting. But outside of that, I have concerns about this offense. I like Tyrod Taylor as a player, but I don't know if his skill set fits Keenan Allen's skill set where Keenan Allen needs to get the ball quickly. You, you rely more on precision passing with him rather than just throw it up and let him like Mike Williams, you could just throw up and let him do his thing. He's going to more than likely come down with that ball. But Keenan Allen, I think, is a little bit more uh, you need to be quick and get the ball to him while, after he creates that separation. So this is one of those offenses that I really like Austin Eckler. And then after that, Mike Williams late, uh, I have no problem with. But like Keenan Allen, at, at as high as he's going, I, I really don't have any shares of him this year. Yeah, I think it's in between. Keenan Allen, I've been so-so on. Hunter Henry, I've been pretty much out on. But uh, I think you're right. Eckler at the top. Williams sort of near the end. Those seem like some pretty good options there for the Chargers. Uh, in Indianapolis, Paris Campbell is in concussion protocol after being involved in a car crash. I'm uh, not sure how long he's going to be out as he goes through the protocol. I know there are some people who were sort of big on Paris Campbell, had Derek Brown from Fade the Noise on uh, just a couple of days ago. He talked about how much he loved Paris Campbell this season. With him out, I don't know how you feel about him. Does this change your thoughts on Campbell? Does this does this give you some more love for Michael Pittman in that Colts offense? Yeah, first, Debro is awesome. And I know he's driving the, the Paris Campbell hype train. He really <laughs> was starting to get me on board with it. And, and then this happened. Uh, I have both Campbell and Pittman as like low-end wide receiver four, high-end wide receiver fives, because I think both of them are very similar. Like they have... I think a lot of upside if, if they can become that second target behind T.Y. Hilton. But I can't say with any confidence that it's going to be either one of those two or Jack Doyle because new quarterback in this offense. So I, what I do like about Paris Campbell is he's a freak athlete, ran a 4-3-1-40 at last year's combine, and we were expecting him to line up in the slot, which I think bodes well with the quarterback like Phillip Rivers, who does like to throw to the slot a good amount, doesn't uh, throw the ball downfield as much as he used to anymore. But uh, to me, both of those two are kind of – we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of them, but I think they have high enough upside to warrant taking, you know, in round 10 or later. Yeah, I know I have drafted Michael Pittman in a lot of spots. Uh, I, I love just watching him. I mean, I, I saw him succeed with just a myriad of – less than stellar quarterbacks over his final couple of seasons at USC. And I feel like going to Indianapolis and having at least a veteran guy like Phillip Rivers potentially helps him out quite a bit. So, uh, I mean, I, I think he's got some late round upside and especially look in a year where there are so many receiver options for you to draft. I don't mind taking a swing at him knowing that I'm going to have some other depth on my roster. If Pittman ends up popping this year for the Colts and I feel great about it because I have another option I can put in the starting lineup. If it doesn't, uh, again, I don't feel like I've spent a lot of draft capital on him. So uh, I believe 
I mean, maybe I'm a little bit of a homer. I'm fine with that. But I do think there's some reason to think that Michael Pittman could end up being uh, productive this year. Uh, last bit of news. Let's go to the Jetropolitans because there's always a show there in Florham Park. Uh, Le'Veon Bell practiced a little bit early a couple days ago. The team says they removed him from practice because of a precaution, because of a hamstring injury. Lev, who is never known to be silent on social media, tweeted that he had no hamstring injury. He was upset because he wasn't allowed to practice. He wanted to be out there on the practice field. So it has become another tete-a-tete between Lev Bell and Adam Gase. I, what what is happening here, Florio? What is going on? Is there? Do you believe one side over the other? I I have no idea how to take this. Yeah, I I don't either. To me, this is just another sign of like stay away from this situation altogether. <laughs> like, Marcus, we we said it the last time I was on about Leonard Fournette, right? Like, if a team doesn't want their running back, why should you want them on your fantasy team? <laughs> what has Adam Gase shown us at all that that he backs Le'Veon Bell and believes that Le'Veon Bell is going to be you know a workhorse true breakout running back like type this year and I I just I don't know what's going on here and to me in that article the bigger part of it that I think is because yeah the the big part is he he got pulled from practice but it said before that he was splitting reps with Frank Gore so Mm -hmm. that is concerning to me because we've already seen Adam Gase ruin one fantasy season Kenyon Drake two years ago in Miami (laughs) by just using Frank Gore more than him so I, I have concerns with that with Le'Veon Bell, and then I don't really see his upside either. Like last year, I know everything went wrong for the Jets, but he never finished as a top five fantasy back. He didn't have a run of 20 yards last year. Now we know all the the wear and tear he had on that tires. He's getting up there in age. To me, this is just a complete avoid for fantasy. I feel like Kenyon Drake, Devin Singletary, and now Lev Bell should form a support group of guys <laughs> who have seen their upside capped by Frank Gore. Uh, late career Frank Gore on top of that. I just keep sort of hoping that the fallout gets so bad that the Jets decide to trade Le'Veon Bell somewhere because I still think there is something left in the tank. I still think he can be productive. I just don't think that's going to happen in New York where he has a head coach who just very clearly doesn't want him around and you know, has really made no bones to hide it. So I, I want Lev to come back into our fantasy lives. I just don't think it's going to happen with the Jets. Uh, I said that to Dan Hansis on the ATN Fantasy Extravaganza, and you know he, he grudgingly sort of agreed. I mean, I guess when you're a Jets fan, you sort of know how these things work. Um, Pittsburgh can use a running back. Yeah. You know, I love, I would love, I would love that. I think I said a few weeks ago, it'd be great if somehow they traded Lev to Pittsburgh and then Antonio Brown decided he was going to become an upstanding citizen and then like they would all make up and we'd get the killer bees back together for one last run in in Pittsburgh. It'd be great. I would be 100% on board with that. That'd be fun. Even if it didn't work out, it would just be fun every week. It would be so much fun every single week. Let's talk some tight ends. Over the last few years, we keep hoping that the position will add some more depth. We always say this in August and September, the tight end's going to be deep this year. Then we get to October, November, and we're scrounging to try to find some guys off the waiver wire that we can stream. But we're going to try and unravel the position nonetheless here. So let's start just with the basics. What has been your tight end draft strategy so far this season? 
My strategy, a lot to what your point is, Marcus, like we always say it's deeper, but then it never ends up being deeper. So if I'm in the middle of the first round and it comes back to me in the second round and like my top 12 or 13 running backs are off the board, I will pivot and take George Kittle there. And if I miss out on George Kittle, uh, then I usually wait until like the, the seventh, eighth round and I try to grab a tight end that I think has the upside to make that next step into like the Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz tier, which I think are like Tyler Higbee, Evan Ingram, uh, Hayden Hurst. And if I miss out on those guys, or even if I get one of them, I like to pair it with another higher upside tight end that goes later on, you know, like the Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, and that tier of tight ends. Yeah, I, I have been sort of with you in the sense that I will try to go early and get one of those top guys, a Kelsey or a Kittle, what have you. If I don't get them, then I tend to be waiting till later. I will wait until maybe the double-digit rounds to try to get some of those upside guys. We'll, we'll talk about a few of them a little bit later on, but, you know, the Jonu Smiths, the Blake Jarwins, what have you. I feel like if I wait till later and they don't pan out, then I end up streaming tight ends, which is fine. If I miss in the middle rounds and I end up streaming tight ends, then I think I end up kicking myself because of you know, some of the other guys I missed out on that I probably could have had on my roster. So uh, I've either gone early or I've gone late. When I've gone in between, I just haven't felt particularly excited about my options. So because of that, and you sort of tipped your hand a little bit, uh, my next question was going to be, who do you think will be the tight end one overall. Will it be Travis Kelsey? Will it be George Kittle? Like I said, I feel like you tipped your hand, but I, I would love to get your explanation. Yeah, I did tip my hand a little bit, even though I take Kittle so much in the second round because Kelsey usually goes before him. But for me, Kittle is my tight end one. Uh, and last year, I know Kelsey finished as the tight end one in fantasy, but they both averaged 15.89 fantasy points per game. It was just Kittle missed some time. Uh, and to me, the reason why I have bumped Kittle ahead of Kelsey now is because in Kansas City, there's a lot of other weapons around Travis Kelsey. There's Tyreek Hill. There's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Whereas in San Francisco, there's George Kittle and who else? Like Brandon Ayuk, I understand, is a high upside rookie. But he's still a rookie. And then there's a lot of unproven talent with that receiver group. But there's no one, I think, that can even compete to be the top target with George Kittle there. And I think if George Kittle can ever, you know, get more than five touchdowns, and I think he has that ability. Uh, and I think this could be the year that he finally gets that positive touchdown regression. He's younger, too, than, than Kelsey, so I worry a little bit less with that. I just, to me, you're splitting hairs between these two because I think they are both super elite head and shoulders above everyone else at their position should both be second round picks. But because of the, the less weapons around him, I'm going to go with George Kittle as my tight end one. Yeah, that wide receiver situation in San Francisco is kind of a mess. I mean, you mentioned Ayuk, who's he's got a hamstring injury right now. Debo Samuel still working his way back. Jalen Hurd looks like he's going to be gone for the year. Uh, it is sort of a mess. I mean, they keep trying to hype up Dante Pettis or Kendrick Bourne or Trent Taylor. Uh, even Tavon Austin has signed with the 49ers, but it's not a group that gets you all excited. I thought even before all these injury issues that George Kittle was set to sort of surpass Travis Kelsey as the tight end one. I think now, because the Niners are so shorthanded in the passing game, I think it's almost a certainty 
We know that he and Jimmy Garoppolo certainly have a great rapport with one another. Uh, you know, I guess if you judge by by Twitter accounts, they they seem to to give each other a hard time on Twitter all the time. So maybe that maybe that counts for something. It doesn't get you fantasy points, but maybe it means uh, that they are working well together. But I do think that this is going to be the year we see George Kittle sort of take the throne as the top tight end in the fantasy game. But the next question then is. We talk about those two guys, and we certainly have them easily in Tier 1. Are we sort of overlooking Mark Andrews as a, a dark horse to be that tight end one, considering what he did last year and this thought that the Ravens might throw the football more in 2020? I don't think so. I think Mark Andrews deserves to be the tight end three, going a little bit after those top two. Like, Kelsey has just completely, like, the last four years – his four-year stretch can go up against any fantasy tight end ever. It's been that good, that consistent. George Kittle's been doing this now for a couple of years. Mark Andrews was awesome last year, but he still only averaged 13.81 fantasy points per game, which is two less per game than both Kittle and Kelsey. So he wasn't quite as good as those two last year. He doesn't have as long as a track record as those two. I think his upside is really high, but until we see him do it, Again, this year, if he puts together another campaign this year like last year, then I think we could say, all right, he's proven that that he belongs in that high tier one with these other two tight ends. But for right now, I think he belongs in the tier two uh, right behind those other two guys. You know, I, I do think my my only concern with Mark Andrews, and this is more, and this has nothing to do with him and everything to do with sort of the fantasy community around him is that Last year, he part of the reason he was so great was because you were able to get him at a really great draft price, similar to Lamar Jackson. Now, the draft price has gone up significantly for both of those guys. And so you really do need for Mark Andrews to sort of return as that tight end three or four to like kind of make you feel like you got requisite value for the draft pick you spent. The other tight end that usually gets thrown into this conversation is Zach Ertz. And I feel like a lot of people have mixed feelings on him. I am not super excited. It doesn't help me when Dallas Goddard says we're going to be a nightmare for defensive coordinators because that just means that, hey, that's great for Carson Wentz, that he's got a lot of targets to throw the football to. That seems to be bad news for Zach Ertz. And is it possible, Mike, that maybe he falls out of sort of this top elite tier of, of tight ends at the end of the year? It's definitely possible. I have him fourth amongst these four. But for me, I have no – like I've seen him fall to like round five at times in drafts. And I think I'm fine taking him there because like Dallas Goddard could say that. And, and I think – you know, it bodes well that they have two big tight ends. But to me, Goddard is more of a red zone presence. Uh, Deshaun Jackson and, and Jalen Rager, I, I like them a lot, especially in best ball drafts. But they're more down the field uh, field stretchers. So I think someone needs to step up here and be that possession receiver for Carson Wentz and the Eagles. And we know it's going to be Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz has seen a 100 targets or more in five straight seasons. It's tied for the longest active streak amongst all tight ends so I think his volume is safe I don't know if he has quite the ceiling to match the other three which is why I have him fourth but I think just on a week-to-week -week basis the, the volume is going to be there and you don't really have to worry about it too much so for me that's why I have him fourth and I am seeing him fall a little bit in drafts and if he continues to fall then I think that 
it becomes a, an opportunity where you look to get him on your fantasy roster. On the one hand, I tell myself this story where if all the Eagles receivers stay healthy, then Zach Ertz is going to see a decrease in targets. And then I look back and I realize that we're talking about Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson trying to stay healthy, which has been a monumental task over the last few years. And I think, well, hey, maybe Zach Ertz is still in line to be a target monster once again there in <laughs> Philadelphia. Dallas Goddard, how are you feeling about him this year? I don't really love him because, like like we were talking about the other receivers the Eagles have there, then he's still not even the number one tight end in the target pecking order. I think where he bodes best is in the red zone, and, and he'll have some weeks where he'll pop because he'll catch a touchdown, maybe two. But then he's going to have those disappointing weeks where he doesn't find pay dirt, and you're left like wanting more because he's going to give you four or five fantasy points. So uh, I think he has the upside. To me, though, he is a more of a tight end, too, that – that I don't really have a lot of in drafts this year. Yeah, I keep saying Dallas Goddard is the guy who won't be relevant enough to have on your fantasy team, but he will be relevant enough to maybe eat off Zach Ertz's plate, and that is what is potentially very frustrating. I think that is in perfect. Philadelphia. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how it's going to go down. We've reached the middle of the pack in our tight end conversation, and this is where things start to get a little bit complicated because we've got a group of guys here that have shown the ability to have some solid production, but they all come with pretty significant question marks. So let's kind of jump into a few of them here. Let's start in Las Vegas with Darren Waller, who was a great story last year, a guy who had a, his own set of off-the-field issues, his own personal struggles, really got an opportunity with the Raiders last year and made the most of it. More than 1,100 yards, had 90 catches, ends up as a top three tight end last season. But now, Florio, the price has gone way up in terms of the draft for Darren Waller. And can he give you the encore you need to make that draft price worth it? Darren Waller is one of the hardest players for me to figure out this year. Uh, and it's because of a lot of different reasons. Like last year, he was awesome to begin the year. A lot of people picked him up. And then after like the first five weeks of the season, all double-digit fantasy points, he exploded in week seven for nearly 32 fantasy points. But after that, it became a lot more single-digit fantasy performances. He only topped 15 fantasy points uh, three times in the second half of the season. So uh, with a lot more of those single digits mixed in, I'm not sure his ceiling is quite as high as like Andrews, Ertz, and definitely not as high as Kelsey and Kittle. So to me, he belongs after the big four in the next group of upside tight ends that come with question marks because the Raiders have a lot of new uh, weapons in that, and especially in that receiving game. Uh, they, they drafted Ruggs high. Brian Edwards is getting a bunch of hype. Uh, so to me, Waller is one of those. He has upside where he can outlive his ADP, but he also comes with downsides. So he belongs uh, in that high upside tier after the big four for me. Yeah, you, you talk about the pass catchers the Raiders drafted. They realized after last season they had to upgrade in that department. I mean, let's let's remember, I know it feels like it was a lifetime ago. The Antonio Brown thing was just a year ago. I mean, it, like all of the helmet stuff that was going on during Hard Knocks last year, it feels like it was forever ago, but it really wasn't. And so because of that, because Tyrell Williams was banged up, Darren Waller stepped into the void and made the most of the opportunity. But now, as you mentioned, they've got Ruggs, they've got Bowden, they've got uh, Brian Edwards. They signed Theo Riddick as a free agent who can come in, potentially catch passes. Let's not forget Jalen Richard is still there. There are a lot more options for Derek Carr to deliver the football to. And I think it's going to be hard for Darren Waller to get back to 117 targets like he had last year. 
it's going to be hard to get back to 90 catches like last year. And so that means he's really going to have to score more touchdowns, which is certainly possible, but that is a hard thing to try to bank on. So I, I think that it was an excellent story. It was also a story sort of born of opportunity, and I'm not sure that that opportunity is going to be there this year for Darren Waller. Uh, next set of tight ends, uh, choose your alliterative fighter. Is it Evan Ingram? Is it Hunter Henry? Which of those two guys do you feel better about? For me, it is easily Evan Ingram. Like, Evan Ingram, every time he's on the field, is a high-end tight end one, and we know the upside that he has. He can legitimately, I believe, be the Giants' best fantasy weapon outside of Saquon Barkley this year if he can stay healthy. Uh, the other side with Hunter Henry, he also has struggled to stay on the field, and we've seen him flash at times. But when he is flash, it's been because of high touchdown percentage in the past. And I, I like him as a talent, but it goes back to I think the Chargers are going to have a slower-paced offense. I think they are going to look to establish the run a little bit more. I think Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen are the unquestioned top targets there, so that leaves Henry and Mike Williams fighting to be the third target there on a team that I don't expect to pass as much. The Giants have a bad defense, and I think they are going to be playing from behind a lot, having to throw. And I think Evan Ingram could realistically be this team's number, like lead this team in targets if he stays healthy this year. So to me, I think the upside and, and everything, because both are injury concerns, so I'm going to take the player that I think has the higher ceiling. And to me, I think it is much higher for Evan Ingram. Yeah, no, I would agree with that, too. I, I like Ingram over Hunter Henry. And I say that as somebody who has been a huge Hunter Henry stand ever since he was drafted. And so far, just for one reason or another, it hasn't quite come together. The first year or two, he was still sort of competing with Antonio Gates for targets there. Then, as you mentioned, the injuries have happened. I know that's the same thing for Ingram. But I, I agree with you that when he is there and he is healthy, I think he's the guy that they look to first in the passing game. Uh, and they've got, a, they've got a lot of really, I think, talented pass catchers there. I mean, I like Darius Slayton. We know what Golden Tate can do. But I think Evan Ingram is the guy that they would really like to funnel that passing game through. So I, I would agree. I think you sort of try to overlook the injury concerns. I would say that if you're drafting Evan Ingram, you might be wise to spend another late draft pick on a second tight end just to kind of have that insurance there for you. But I think, I think we look at Evan Ingram the way I'm, I'm looking at Will Fuller, right? When he is there, the production is going to be fantastic. So maybe don't talk yourself out of him just because you're worried about an injury that has not yet happened. Uh, all right. A couple weeks ago, you were on this show and we were talking about the Rams and I asked you about Tyler Higby and you sort of malfunctioned my brain a little bit because you had him with an incredibly high ceiling. So I'm going to kind of circle back around. I know how you feel. I know how much you love Tyler Higby. Over the weekend, though, the Rams had a scrimmage. Van Jefferson started to get a little bit more love and then reports from practice that he went one-on-one -on -one with Jalen Ramsey a couple of times and got the better of Jalen Ramsey. So now the hype machine is pumping for Van Jefferson. Does this change at all the way you feel about Tyler Higby? It hasn't, and I, I understand why <laughs> it, it would because the whole thing with Higby is – if the Rams go back to playing running 11 personnel and using three wide receivers like they did for the first two and a half years of Sean McVay's tenure there, then, yeah, that, that's going to lead to less volume for the tight end. But I still have difficulty looking at what Tyler Higby and, the, and not just Higby, what the Rams offense became in the final uh, five weeks of the season when they went to 12 personnel and started running the two tight end sets more. And, and it was like Higby – 
was a we know he said history, but Jared Goff, his numbers greatly improved, and the Rams' yards greatly improved each week, and their points greatly improved each week. And so I, I think I find it difficult that they're going to see the success that they had last year and pull that off the field to get a, a rookie who I think has a lot of upside long term. But again, it, when they drafted him, he was dubbed as kind of a project and uh, a weird preseason for rookies this year. No preseason games. We're just kind of getting these battles uh, at training camp and stuff. So maybe as the year goes on and Van Jefferson really starts to flash and if Higby gets off to a slow start, then I would start to worry. But as of right now, some hype coming out of training camp is not enough to change what we saw, at least in my opinion, what we saw the last five games from the Rams offense. I, I just feel like Tyler Higby for me has been one that I can't completely peg because I we all saw what he did last season, which was phenomenal. I remain skeptical about what this means over the course of 16 games. And I still don't know what Gerald Everett means to this offense. I, I'm sort of putting Gerald Everett uh, into a similar category to Dallas Goddard in the sense that I don't know that I would have Gerald Everett on my fantasy roster, but I do worry that if the Rams go with more 12 personnel, he will just kind of pick and chip away at Tyler Higby's production. And that, that sort of worries me. Uh, and again, like I, I go back to my, my original point of like, I have sort of stayed away from these middle round tight ends. So Higby has sort of been a little bit off my board just because of that. Now, when it comes to middle round tight ends, especially you talk about big names, Rob Gronkowski is back. He took a gap year, so to speak. He uh, went and I guess went to try to find himself and turns out he was uh, hanging out on the masked singer who knew. But now he's back. He's with Tom Brady reunited down there in Tampa Bay. This is kind of his uh, ADP right now of like the seventh round, which, look, for, for the previous Gronk, that's way too low. For this Gronk, with so many weapons in Tampa, with O.J. Howard reportedly flashing in camp right now, is the seventh round too high? Is it just right? How are you feeling about that? Uh, I think it's about right. I like him a little bit more when he goes even later. Seventh round might be a little bit too high for me. And now that I, like eighth, ninth, I think is more the sweet spot. If you get him even later than that, just I, I love that value. But to me, the question we need to ask with Gronk is, do we think he can reach 700 yards? And if the answer is yes, then I think he can be a top eight tight end. Because in the last three seasons, every single tight end that has reached 700 yards has finished as a top eight tight end. And in the last five years, everyone but one tight end finished top 10. And that one was Eric Ebron of the year. He had just one touchdown catch. So I think that if we think that Gronk can get to 700 yards, which I do think he can because Evans and Godwin are clearly going to get all the attention from the defense. So I think that it's going to lead to a lot of one-on-one battles for Rob Gronkowski and I'm of the mindset that I know two years ago he did not look like the Gronk of old, but he was battling a ton of injuries in throughout his NFL career. So a year off very well may have done him good. If he still has any of that old athleticism in the tank, I think there's actually upside here where he can outlive this ADP. Um, but I, I have Gronk in some of my drafts. He's not a player that I'm going into drafts and being like, I need to end up with Gronk. But if I see him fall, I think seventh round might be a little bit too early. But if he falls a little bit later than that, that's when I start to consider him. Yeah, I, I would probably agree. I think when he first signed with Tampa Bay, my thought was he could, 
end up sort of in the back part of the top 10 among fantasy tight ends when the season was all said and done. I still sort of believe that, although I feel like I, I think that way in part because every year we, we look at the tight ends and there's always a couple of guys who are just good enough. They may not be great on a week-to-week basis, but they're just good enough and they land in that top 10. I mean, I keep coming back to Jason Witten as tight end 11 last year, and, and he was fairly unremarkable. So <laughs> I, I do think that Gronk can sort of land in the back part of the top 10, but I'm sort of with you. I don't know that I would spend a, a seventh-round pick on him. If he gets a little bit uh, down the board a little bit, then I, I would think uh, some more about that. It's time for High Upside, presented by Caesars Rewards. As we continue our tight end preview, time to look at the guys who are available in the double-digit rounds, or in some cases, guys who are going undrafted that we think could provide some pretty good returns for your fantasy roster this week. So we have combined to put together a list of five guys that we like. Uh, Michael Florio, I will cede the floor to you. Who is a guy right now that you are liking in those later rounds, or a guy who might just not be drafted at all? I like Chris Herndon, and he is someone who's getting some more hype the recent weeks. But before, like a month ago, it's very possible he just went completely undrafted if you did like an early draft. And the reason I like Herndon so much is, remember, he started to come on really strong in the second half of 2018, averaging double, uh, near double-digit fantasy points per game. And then last year, a lot of people had him ranked as a tight end one, but then he got hit with a suspension. Still a lot of people, myself included, were advocating to – Take a shot on him. Hey, only four weeks, right? And then he he suffered an injury, and all year he was kind of on, like, should I stash him? But then, I mean, it, he ran 10 routes all year. It was a completely lost season for him. But now he is back. He is healthy. He's getting rave reviews out of Jets camp. And the Jets need, like, Sam Darnold needs someone to step up and catch the ball, right? Like, there's Jamison Crowder, but then Rashad Perriman and Denzel Mims are dealing with injuries and have both been absent from training camp. And we're seeing that, like, Chris Hogan, the ghost of Chris Hogan, is back <laughs> and running with the Jets one. So, to me, someone needs to catch the ball here. We saw Ryan Griffin even be fantasy relevant at times last year with Sam Darnold. So, I think Herndon is much better than, than Griffin. I think he's a, a much better athlete, could do more damage uh, with the ball after the catch. So, Herndon is someone in the double-digit rounds, really, in drafts that I think has a lot of upside. For what it's worth, I saw a Twitter report yesterday that says Darnold and, and Herndon have formed some sort of mind meld. Apparently, they're getting along great. They're on the same page, whatever phrase you want to use. So, uh, hey, just, just put that in your back pocket when you're thinking about drafts. I, I talked about Jason Witten and the fact that he was the tight end 11 last year. And basically, all he did was catch the football and fall down. So, for that reason, I have sort of gone in on Blake Jarwin this year. And, and I know that there are a lot of targets, a lot of places to spread the football in Dallas. I mean, between their, their top three wide receivers with Cooper Gallup and C.D. Lamb, they got to they gotta get those guys the ball. They still have to get Zeke his touches. But there is a lot of volume here. I mean, this is an, an offense that was fairly up-tempo last year that ran a ton of plays. The fact that they were able to get uh, so many guys, a, a lot of targets, a lot of yards through the air and still get Zeke his opportunities, I think that speaks well. Witten is gone. Randall Cobb is gone. So there is an opportunity for another tight end to step in there, get some some chances to uh, to make some plays in this offense. And so I think that Jarwin, considering where he is on the board, I mean, you're talking around 12 or later in a lot of circumstances, he could come back and be one of those guys sort of knocking on the door of the top 12 in a lot of fantasy leagues. And I think right now he is worth the shot. Uh, so you're bringing you're bringing Jack Doyle back into our lives, huh, Mike Florio? 
Old man Jack Doyle. Yeah, I think Jack Doyle is a great value this year. Like, yeah, Jack Doyle doesn't have top five tight end upside or anything like that. Like, let's not get carried away. But he's in a really favorable situation. Like, Frank Reich's system has, for the last couple of years, given us some fantasy goodness from the tight end position. And even, like, a couple years ago when Eric Ebron had that breakout fantasy season, Jack Doyle was still fantasy viable, and Jack Doyle was still playing the majority of snaps and even getting more targets. So I think Jack Doyle, once again, in that role, like we're hearing some hype for Trey Burton and Mo, Mo Ali cox but they're going to play the Eric Ebron role, the big tight end who comes in in the red zone. Jack Doyle is going to be that, that receiver in between the 20s that they use, and I think he can be the go-to possession receiver for Phillip Rivers because in his last 10 seasons – Rivers is averaging nearly eight pass attempts per game to his tight ends that ranks towards the top in the league. So I think Jack Doyle is a cheap volume play that he can be a better version of like this year's Jason Witten. Like he's never going to wow you, but at the end of the year, you're going to look and be like, oh, wow, he's a top 12 tight end because he's been consistent each week. I think there's there's some value in that, right? When you talk about tight ends, we all want to take the big swing and get the guy who puts up big numbers each and every week. But because the tight end position has been so volatile, maybe sometimes all you need is that guy who just kind of just chugs along, right? Who, who may not win a week for you, but is not going to kill you on a week-to-week basis. Uh, and I do think that, that Jack Doyle could be that guy. Uh, I'm looking at Jonu Smith, and I have been big on the Jonu Smith train all offseason long, in part because obviously Delaney Walker is gone in Tennessee, so Smith takes the next step forward into that role as the top tight end in the Titans offense. And on top of it, look, this offense just opened up so much more last year once Ryan Tannehill took over for Marcus Mariota. They became a lot more dynamic. They were moving the ball more effectively. And it leads me to believe that they are going to give Tannehill some more room to work with in this offense. Now, that's great news. The problem for him is that he's got to find someone to throw the football to not named A.J. Brown. Brown's going to get his. I think he's going to be fantastic this year. But, you know, here we are waiting. What, this is year four or five? We're still waiting for Corey Davis to be the guy we think he can be. We know that Derrick Henry is not going to catch the football consistently in this offense. So there's really a chance for John New Smith to be a consistent producer. He was just outside the top 15 or top 12, I should say, last season. I think this year he kind of creeps into that. And, and I think he ends up being a really nice option. All right. Last one in this group. Who are you looking at here, Florio? I'm going to go with another Smith. I'm going to go with Irv Smith Jr. from the Minnesota Vikings. And Smith is a tight end that he's not even going in the top 15 tight ends in a lot of drafts. You get him real late. But what I like about him is outside of Adam Thielen here, like someone needs to step up for the Vikings. I like Justin Jefferson, uh, but is he going to be able to step in and fill all the targets that Stephon Diggs is leaving behind? No, I don't think so. So I think there's going to be targets up for grabs. And Irv Smith Jr. is... To me, I think, like, we already saw him and Kyle Rudolph last year splitting the, the reps, running the same amount of routes, seeing the same amount of targets per game. And I think Irv Smith, who is a tremendous athlete, much better athlete than a Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph, though, is a much better block. I think it makes sense that we'll see Rudolph used to block more, where Irv Smith will be the pass-catching tight end. And we've even seen reports that they are toying with the idea of using him out wide at times, which is just going to lead to more fantasy production. I think Smith is a low-risk, high-ceiling type tight end play. My only caveat would be, and Marcus, you know this really well, don't play him the week of Christmas because that's Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely Kyle Rudolph's week. Uh, but Irv Smith has been 
uh, a training camp hype bunny there for the Minnesota Vikings. That was High Upside, presented by Caesars Rewards. Draft the team with NFL Fantasy this season, and you could win a trip to take your league to Caesars Palace Las Vegas for the fantasy playoffs. Download the NFL Fantasy app, draft the team, and select the trip to Caesars Palace from among the three grand prizes you can win. Wrapping up our tight end preview here on the Fantasy Football Show. And let's talk about some guys who maybe we aren't thinking about, but maybe possibly in a weird way we possibly should. I'm going to start with a couple of longtime veteran tight ends. Are you expecting, can you predict anything out of either Jimmy Graham or Greg Olson, a.k.a. do you believe in ghosts? Jimmy Graham, no. And, and remember, like, early in Jimmy Graham's career when he wanted wide receiver money and was mad that, like, he was getting, you know, classified as, like, a tight end? He's more than made up for it these last couple of years taking the Bears <laughs> and Packers money to basically be a coach or something. So I, I do not expect anything out of Jimmy Graham. Greg Olson, on the other hand, I am a little intrigued about because I, I understand he hasn't been able to stay healthy because of that foot. But when he has been on the field in recent years, he's still shown us a little bit of potential, averaging almost nine fantasy points per game each of the last two years. He has a quarterback in Russell Wilson who does like to throw to tight ends, especially in the red zone. And the Seahawks have like seven tight ends on their roster. They drafted one. They have Will Disley, uh, Jacob Hollister. I think it's because Greg Olson isn't going to be used as like a regular tight end. Like I don't expect him to block or anything like that. I think he is just going to be the pass catching specialist for, for that group. And, and yeah, he's nothing more than a low end tight end too, but I think he may have a little something left in the tank. Jimmy Graham, not at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, especially on Olsen there, because I think the point you made is valid that, that Russell Wilson is not afraid to throw to his tight ends. It's the reason we have sort of gotten onto the Will Disley bandwagon a couple of times. Unfortunately, Disley has not been able to stay healthy, but when he's been there, they look for him around the goal line. And I do think Greg Olson can sort of be that guy. So I, I would get behind you on that one. Uh, better chance for fantasy relevance in 2020, Ian Thomas, Jace Sternberger, or Devin Asiasi, which is just fun to say. <laughs> I'm going to go with Jace Sternberger of these three. And, and the whole reason is just, like, there's so much volume up for grabs in Green Bay. Like, outside of Devontae Adams, there's no one there that I think you can be like, all right, well, I like, I know Alan Lazard is the favorite, but, like, even him, I'm like, all right, would I be surprised if it's Jay Sternberger and not Alan Lazard? I personally wouldn't. Sternberger was a really good uh, tight end his one year at Texas A&M, showed that he had a lot of athletic ability after the catch. Ian Thomas, my concern is just, DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, we know, are the top two targets there. So every week he has to compete with Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel to be the third target at best. And Devin Asiasi is getting really good reviews out of Patriots camp. I think he is a name that you should remember. But when is the last time we really saw a rookie tight end break out? So he's more a name to, to keep an eye on and not one that I would be drafting over those other two right now. Yeah, Asi Asi is definitely, I think, more of a dynasty sort of stash than, than in redraft leagues. I don't expect anything this year. I sort of like Ian Thomas, though. I mean, Greg Olson leaving there in Carolina. I think Teddy Bridgewater is sort of a nice fit for a, a younger tight end looking to kind of get some opportunities there. Uh, you're right. He is going to have to compete for targets. We know DJ Moore is going to get his. We know Christian McCaffrey is probably going to be over 100 targets again yet this year. But I do think there's an opportunity there, especially if Robbie Anderson ends up being an effective field stretcher. I think that opens some things up underneath and that will allow Thomas a little bit of room to work. Again, he 
he's the guy that, that you were talking about last pick in the draft, or probably even a waiver wire sort of ad, depending on the situation. Uh, but I do think we will hear from Ian Thomas at some point during the, uh, the season this year. All right, last one. Who is the better basketball-playing fantasy tight end? Because, you know, whenever we hear about these guys, they are always talked about, hey, this guy played basketball. Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez? Who are you going with? I, I think I'm going with the contrarian pick here, but I'm going with my heart. I'm going to go with Antonio Gates and Marcus. The reason is my one of my first years playing fantasy, Antonio Gates led me to my first ever fantasy football championship. <laughs> so because of that, he has a place near and dear to my heart. I understand that. No, that absolutely makes sense. I think we always sort of get attached to guys, especially guys who help us uh, win championships. Plus, I, I had a friend for a long time whose motto was, if you don't get Gates, wait. That was his whole tight end drafting strategy. So it basically meant he was going after Gates early on in the draft. And if not, then he would probably wait. And because he was a Cowboys fan, he would take like Jay Novacek or something like that. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the other side of this argument, though. I'm going to go with Tony Gonzalez who is, you know, obviously a Hall of Famer, who is one of the greatest tight ends, just greatest offensive players to play this game. And uh, on top of it, had that great celebration where he would, like, shoot free throws after he scored touchdowns. Uh, I mean, what, what he did between Kansas City and Atlanta was phenomenal. Uh, also, maybe, maybe I'm partially biased here, too, because I remember Tony Gonzalez as a basketball player at Cal, and I remember him beating up on USC on multiple occasions. Um, so maybe it's a... a combination of bitterness and respect that have led me to uh, <laughs> to pick Tony Gonzalez here but uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go that way with it so uh yeah that's it uh, any final words anything else about tight ends you think people should know before we uh, we sign off today I think just going back to what you said at the start of the show like yeah every year we say like tight end is deeper than ever this year you could wait on the position but my opinion, if you're not grabbing one of those early tight ends and you are waiting, I think it is worthy to double dip because, yeah, it is deeper than ever, but they're not all going to pan out. So if you can get two of those high upside tight ends, especially in the double digit rounds, I think it is worth it because you're just increasing your chances of finding a breakout tight end and not having to stream it each week off the waiver wire. Yeah, I would also add that generally, I think in most years, I wouldn't draft a second tight end. This year, I'm leaning toward it just because, you know, COVID-19 is still a real thing in this world and could have an impact on your fantasy roster. So this might be a year that you want to consider taking two tight ends, regardless of where you take your first one. So there you go. That is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Please, wherever you are, stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of others. Wear a mask. And we will see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. 
and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 